Okay, I know, I understand that this sounds disgusting to most human beings, but I'm gonna defend this to the ground. Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to a very special episode of Pennies and Popcorn. Special because, one, we are talking about a very fun movie that ties to our own personal experience of backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail, and that is Wild. And also, we have a super special guest host with us today. Sherby, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I'm Rainbow Sherbert, and I'm from Scotland. Yeah, so... This chick to my right has backpacked, like, what, like 99% of the PCT? We yeah. can basically call you, like, a completed thru-hiker. Um, yeah, she came back to finish the Sierras this year. She's had to skip the Sierras, much like Cheryl Strayed, because of a snowy, snowy year that we had in 2019. But you are a thru-hiker through and through. Get it? I'm making thru-hiker jokes. Um so we are super excited to have you here to talk about this specific movie because uh, it is all about through hiking yeah welcome to the show sherby um carla and i when we were on trail you know us as captain and gilly or gilligan and uh yeah we met you in 2019 through hiking the pacific crest trail and we're so excited to have you with us today yeah. thank you for having me <laughs> All right. Well, normally on our shows, we dive into a bunch of fun facts about the movie, but let's just talk about the trail because it's more fun than the movie itself, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I think back before Wild came out, before Gilmore Girls did their episode where people were asking book or movie, um, the Pacific Crest Trail was not quite as popular as it is today. It was substantially less popular than its rival Appalachian Trail. It doesn't feel like that anymore. Yeah, the PCT has exploded in popularity, thanks in large part to Cheryl Strayed, right? She wrote the book Wild, which came out in 2012. And if you go to the Pacific Crest Trail Association website, you can look at the numbers for how many people through hike each year. And it skyrocketed right after she wrote the book. It went from like the low 1,000, like around one to 2,000 people a year who were hiking to... More, more recently, it's like seven or 8,000 people who attempt a thru-hike each year. So it is a ton of people. And even though the trail itself is 2,650-ish miles, that's still a lot of people to cram into one footpath. So it's a heck of a lot of folks. Sherby, did Wild, the book or the movie, play any meaningful role in your decision to go hike the trail? Uh, no, I had already decided before the movie came out. Um, but yeah, it definitely helped me to get a perspective on the trail and sort of what to expect, especially coming from a different country. Yeah, Sherby is from Scotland, as she said, and we all like her accent. Uh, what about you, Carla? I imagine you were trying to do the same thing Reese Witherspoon was. Yeah, I read the book and I was like, this is what I want to do. No, we decided that we wanted to do some long distance backpacking. I mean, it, it actually probably wasn't long after the book came out that we made that decision but it had nothing to do with the book. We didn't know about it. I think I read it pretty soon after we did decide that we wanted to do one of the long trails, um, but it didn't have anything to do with which trail we picked or why we wanted to go out. 
So why did we go backpacking, Robert? Well, because it was amazing, right? Yeah. It's a fun challenge. It's great to do something a little bit different. At some point, uh, our bodies get into a physical decline. And, well, heck, we, we experienced a physical decline in our own attempt to through-hike the Pacific Crest Trail that was not fully successful. So <laughs> we felt like it was better if we wanted to do something like that sooner rather than later. Yeah, the time, she is a ticking, and she's eroding away at our bodies all the time. So, um, yeah, the reason we did not finish our thru-hike is because of my janky ankle. Although, Sherby, you also have not awesome ankles. No, I have terrible ankles. <laughs> you have persevered nevertheless, so you're much tougher than I am, that's for sure. For sure. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the plot overview of this movie, because it's filled with money lessons, or at least we think there's money lessons in it because it's a hike that we've all done. It's a, a life we've all lived, uh, or at least the three of us have. Uh, plot overview, it's pretty basic. Reese Witherspoon plays Cheryl Strayed. She is escaping her life where things have not gone particularly well for her. I believe her mother died at a pretty young age and her life sort of spiraled out of control. And she went on the hike to go figure some things out. She started in Mojave, which is right outside of Tehachapi, a place where I think we took a double zero. We, we took two days off on the trail when we yes, were there. we did. Falls, yeah. if you're listening, it's Chichapapi to you. He could not, <laughs> one of our trail friends, who That's right. we love very much, could not pronounce that trail name to save his life. And if you don't know, the Pacific Crest Trail, it runs from the U.S. border with Mexico to the U.S. border with Canada, from California to Oregon through Washington. So this Tehachapi area is in south-central California, just below the Sierra Nevadas. Cheryl Strayed, Reese Witherspoon, was hiking north, and her plan was to make it to southern Oregon, to Ashland. She hits the Sierra Nevadas where there's a lot of snow, and another hiker encourages her to change up her hike, and so instead she pushes all the way to the Bridge of the Gods on the border between Oregon and Washington, which sure be, you can say, is not the most fun bridge to walk across, right? Uh, no, not in this day and age. There is a lot of cars and no space. <laughs> it so, is a beautiful bridge, though. It's lovely. Yeah, so we should note Cheryl Strayed, the author, did this section of the Pacific Crest Trail in 1995. We did it in 2019. Did her cell phone have all the guides and easy stuff like ours? I assume she did not have a cell phone. Oh, in that pack, Carla, she had everything. She probably had a landline. <laughs> I think she had a satellite phone hanging out in there, uh, like a car phone from the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the movie basically chronicles her journey. There's a bunch of flashbacks to some of the things that have happened in her life and put her in this position, but... The really interesting part for us is, is the hiking. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So we're going to dig into a lot of interesting money things about going on a hike, what kind of cost you can expect to spend on gear, and then um, also dig into a little bit of fun like hiking details as well. But yeah, we have a ton of ground to cover, so I think we can go ahead and jump into our first clip, yeah? All right, so let me set this up a little bit for you. Um, Cheryl Strayed... Her pack, as we have kind of alluded to, is unbelievable. I don't know how many pounds it actually weighed. I did read the book, but it's been a long time, and I don't remember if she said in the book. But in any event, I'm guessing well over 70 pounds. So it's going to be quite heavy. For reference, I think my pack, for most of the time we were on the trail, was somewhere in the range of like 20 to 25-ish pounds. Yours was a little bit heavier, probably like in the 25 to 30 pound range. Sherby, how much was your pack? I remember weighing it at Warner Springs and it was 34 pounds. 34 <laughs> pounds, yeah. Like we said, Sherby's a lot tougher than we are. Um, so yeah, she was carrying at least double what most PCT hikers are carrying these days. 
Part of that is because the gear has gotten a heck of a lot better and more lightweight. Also, part of it is that she was just carrying insane, ridiculous things like saws and binoculars and lots and lots of books, which I get it. She wanted to read on trail, but good grief, she didn't need that many books. So just an insane backpack. So she starts the trail and it is just not going great for her. She's also made a lot of gear mistakes. So this is her asking for help pretty early on in the trail because she realizes that she has just done a lot of things wrong. My name is Cheryl. I'm walking the PCT and I've run out of food. I'm just wondering if you could take me someplace I could get a warm meal. I'm working. Yeah, I understand. Um, but maybe when you're finished, you could take me somewhere? I'm gonna find a thing open this time of day. Well, maybe you could just drive me to some place that'd be open in the morning for breakfast and I can camp nearby. You must be starving. I brought all these dehydrated meals and I brought a stove, but I brought the wrong fuel. Okay, where she is, um, where she started the trail, we actually met a person who had just started hiking there kind of randomly and he did not have the right gear either. He probably also had a 70 pound pack in the yeah. wrong gear oh, and yeah. was yeah. really struggling in the heat. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, we were in that section when it was quite toasty as well. I think it was April. Yeah, and it was already <laughs> warm. Um, so she was, I think, definitely later than we were. So she would have been hitting it at just an abominably hot time of year. And it's not easy. I sympathize with her, especially with that kind of a pack. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can dig into and learn from this short little clip, right? The first thing is, good Lord, test your gear before you go on a backpacking trip. So she's out there and she's brought the wrong kind of fuel for her stove. Has this ever happened to you, Sharpie? Yeah, not the wrong fuel for my stove, but my stove definitely broke halfway through the trail. And it's horrible when you can't cook a meal after you've been hiking all day. It's miserable. Yeah, that sounds brutal. I'm fortunate never to have that happen, but... <clears throat> I think it's a lot harder to have the wrong kind of fuel today. Back in 1995, you would have been using white gas primarily, but maybe you could have thought you could use just unleaded gas from Exxon. I don't know. Uh, whereas today, most people are using a, an isobutane fuel canister that is available from everywhere, from outdoor gear shops to Walmarts to gas stations along the trail. So it's much easier today for, for most hikers to have the right kind of fuel. Yeah. But, but from a gear testing standpoint in general... Gosh, like if you're going on just a weekend backpacking trip, much less a multi-month excursion, definitely test your gear. You, you want to set up your tent multiple times in your backyard or in the park nearby. You want to make sure you know how to repack your pack where everything is and you have an idea where it's going to go. You don't have to do a shakedown hike in the middle of the woods. You can go take a little stroll down a path. I mean, when we lived in Dallas, Carla, we would take walks with our pack on on the Katy Trail, a little like uptown fancy hip area <laughs> yeah. where people are dressed all posh for their little workouts. And oh, yeah, there we, we fit are. Right in. Yeah, with our big old packs. What about you, Sherby? Did you any like practice backpacking trips to, to test out your gear, make sure you knew what was up? Oh, definitely. I um, I did some hiking around in Scotland. Obviously, the weather's slightly different, but yeah, I knew how to set up my tent, my um, sleeping arrangements, what felt comfortable for me for hiking in as well. I think that's very important. Yeah. yeah, she didn't know how to set up her tent at all. We see her struggling with that. 
Her shoes didn't fit. We're gonna get into that later. She didn't ever attempt to use her stove, clearly, or she would have figured out that it was not the right kind of fuel. And on top of that, her pack seems to not be like just good for anything in general. It doesn't seem to fit her very well and she's just carrying way too much stuff in it. There's a scene where she's trying to put on her pack for the first time in the hotel room that she's planning to like leave from to go hiking the next day. And she can't, she can't stand up with her pack on. She has to like roll herself into the standing position. It's just completely ridiculous and awful. And again, these are all things she would have figured out if she had just done some test hikes. I will say I did some backpacking in Boy Scouts in the late 90s. And I was a much smaller guy than I am now. But I, I do remember having a pack that was a bit heavy for me and being very awkward to lift and pick up and put on. And I, not quite falling over off the bed big, but... I get it. I mean, gear was a lot worse back then. <laughs> so what I thought was interesting in this clip is the stranger, right? So she sees somebody. I think this is this might have been the first person that she ran across in her five or six days that she'd been on trail at that point. And she rushed to them and asked for help. And one of the things that I really loved about our PCT experience was just how often we got to use the kindness of strangers, right? She She met this random person and asked for help and he seemed a little bit too busy to help her at first and realized how dire her straits were and was happy to, to pitch in. The clip doesn't show it, but he invited her into his home. He and his wife made her a nice warm meal. They gave her a place to stay and to shower, which I can tell you is a wonderful thing, something she definitely needed at that point. And he took her into town the next day, got her the right kind of fuel. She was super excited and went back on, on trail for the next few days with a much different mindset. Yeah, we were so fortunate and ran into a lot of really lovely folks who helped us out along the way. You are pretty dependent on hitching rides when you're a backpacker on the PCT and I think a lot of long distance trails because the reality is you can't carry enough food for 2,650 miles, right? You can't really carry enough food for more than about 100 miles. Yeah. So you're stopping in trail towns like a ton and usually they're not right on trail. So you're either going to walk another like 20, 30 miles, which is so unappealing when you've already been walking like 20 miles that day, or you get a ride from a stranger. So we got a lot of hitches. Sure, B, do you remember the hitch that we got in Idlewild where we were at this wonderful lunch spot outside of town, right off of where the trail meets a highway at this junction? And we, uh, there's a language barrier. There was a family from another country who came to, who stopped and saw us there. And they had a, a child in school in the town and they decided, hey, we're going to pick you up and bring you there because we know this is what some of the locals do. But they didn't quite know where to take us. And they took us past town and started bringing us to the trail. And we, we tried to tell them to stop. It was, it was a good time, right? Yeah, I, th I think they were trying to take us up the mountain rather than, than to. Yeah, they were yeah. trying to help make our, make our trip easier, right? They were trying I'm sure. to help. It was very sweet. But it was not what we needed. But we figured it out. We got there. Uh, yeah, but we ran into a lot of really nice nice strangers who were very, very happy to help the hikers. I do think some hikers kind of let it go to their head when they like are getting all this nice help from people. And people are like, oh, it's so cool what you're doing. That they start to get kind of an ego about it and feel entitled to some of that help. We didn't run into too many people who were like that. But I know, I know they are out there because... You run into folks who have a really bad attitude about the hikers and yep. you know that they've had a bad experience with some of those more entitled jerky hikers. 
Well, I think the trail angels, right? So there's there's the random people who help you throughout the way, and, and they're a trail angel in their own way. But there's also people who, frankly, dedicate huge portions of their lives to helping people accomplish these journeys. We all met together at a trail angel's home, a, a couple named Scout and Frodo, who let us and dozens of other hikers for weeks on end stay at their house the night before our hike. They picked us up from the airport. They fed us meals. They shuttled us to the trail. They made sure we had instructions on how to mail stuff to early places that we might want stuff along the way. Fuel canisters were available there. They did like everything and it was so generous and they wouldn't even accept a penny of, of thank you from us for helping out so much. Yeah, Scout and Frodo are just two incredible human beings who have touched, I mean, probably thousands and thousands of lives at this point, right? Surely thousands of lives a year at this point. Yeah. And I feel like without people like those, a lot of people wouldn't even succeed because you know you can have a down moment and even just coming across a like a cooler with some sodas in it can make your day and make you want to carry on to do the next hundred miles they're an integral part of the community definitely yeah trail angels really are incredible the ones that besides scout and frodo that really stood out to me are some of the folks that maintain the water caches so there are places in the desert where there are is no water for like an insanely long stretch of trail and you can't carry enough water to sustain you, right? You are d- completely well, dependent. Sure, sure, on... and I can. can. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But most people are super, super dependent on the water sources that you come across on trail. And we were lucky in 2019 because it was a big snow year, which meant there was more like trickle down effect in the desert. We had a good amount of water, but a lot of years the desert is just bleak. So people really rely on these water caches. And there are trail angels who will just dedicate such a huge part of their life to driving huge tanks of water out into the desert to make sure that people get something. I will say it is generally not a good idea to rely on those water caches. Like sometimes those trail angels, they've got lives, right? Sometimes they're not going to be able to get out there and resupply it like you're hoping they will. So don't rely on it, would-be hikers of the universe. But when you're lucky and you get it, it's such, such a luxury. It's incredible. I think a key takeaway is when you're planning a hike like this, make sure you save some money in your budget for showing your appreciation to all the different trail angels that help you out. Right? There's plenty of people who opened up their homes and let us stay there. And it, I think it was right to, to give them, I don't know if a tip is the right way to say it, but a, a thank you, some sort of token of your appreciation or at the water caches, usually there's some sort of donation place where you can leave some money behind and thank people for that so that you can provide for the next group of hikers coming behind you. Or even someone who gives you a long hitch into town, giving them a few dollars for gas is, is very appreciated and it sets up the rest of the community for the same success and same opportunities you had. So one other lesson from this clip is she's staying the night at these people's house and she's getting a shower there. Staying a night in town is often a very nice thing to do. Getting a shower is often an essential thing to do. And normally, you're not going to get people who will just like offer up their homes to you, right? That's pretty unusual to get trail angels who are that generous uh, on trail. And especially with the higher numbers of hikers, like you're not, it's just not going to happen to you very often, if at all. Um, But so you've got a budget for hotels, right? You're going to have to stay in town for hotels. However, there are ways that you can cut back on your hotel costs when you're budgeting for a thru-hike like this. And one of those ways is to do what they call a hero. 
Sherby, do you want to tell us what a hero is? A hero is when you hike into town, do all your resupply, get a shower, whatever you need to do, and you hike back out the same day. And I have to say, I think I did it once. (laughs) (laughs) It takes an enormous amount of willpower, right? Because the allure of town is so powerful. The restaurants, the amazing hot food that's not ramen or a nor pasta side for like the 10th night in a row. It is really, really hard to resist. Yeah, we were big fans of the Nero, where you stay relatively close to town, get into town early and have a full day there, spend the night and get out the next morning. Or really, we were big fans of the full zero, where you spend an entire day in town. Really, it's two nights in town, typically, yeah. right? The night you arrive and then all day the next day, and then you leave. So a lot of downtime because it takes a while to do laundry. (laughs) (laughs) It really does. You're so tired at that point. It's hard for people who haven't done it to understand just how exhausting it is to like peel yourself up and go grocery shopping and do all of your laundry and take a shower. And like things that are just nothing in normal life become like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I can't do this. Well, well, town can become a vortex and people get stuck there and they spend more time than they plan to. And they definitely spend more money than they plan to. But one of the great things is you can find friends along the trail. Like we met and we shared countless hotel rooms together and spots in town and with all of our group of hiking friends we even had times where, oh, Carly, you injured your ankle, took a little time off. You you shared a room with the person you'd met like an hour beforehand. Yeah, we literally met at a McDonald's. And 15 minutes later, we were like making plans to spend the night together. We actually shared not just a room, but a literal bed. So the point is you get close to people very, very quickly on trail, right? There's just something unique about that experience where you're all like doing this hard thing together. And everyone has that mentality of like, let's help each other out. Let's do this in the most economical way that we possibly can. Um, Plus we had some company, which was nice, right? Like we got to hang out together and share trail stories. And it was way more fun than it would have been just like sitting in a hotel room all by myself, crying about my ankle. So we got to cry about our ankles collectively together. It was great. Well, the takeaway is make some friends on trail. That's for sure. All right, I think we should move on to our second clip where Cheryl Strayed has made it to Kennedy Meadows. This is sort of a gathering place for a lot of hikers because the trail transitions there from the dry desert section to the mountainous, sometimes snowy, sometimes hazardous, sometimes difficult river crossings ahead, Sierra Nevadas. And that's a natural spot where people bunch up because occasionally you have to rethink your plans. And she's talking to a a more experienced person there who seemed like he was a a trail angel himself helping hikers coming through about some of her woes with her gear. Your boots, they're too small. That's why you're losing toenails. Yeah, you're right. I only just realized that the second you said that. I thought they were supposed to hurt that bad. Well, what am I supposed to do? I don't have any money to buy new boots. Did you get them at REI? Yeah. Well, you call them, you tell them, and they'll have new boots sent to your next stop. Seriously? Mm. Oh, REI. Okay, so this is something that has not changed since 1995. REI is still a beloved place by all hikers. And even though a lot of people get gear from like kind of cottage industry places like Gossamer Gear and I don't know what else. uh, There's a lot of smaller manufacturers out there today that aren't carried uh, for just the general hiking community, but the through hiking community is specialized for. Yeah, but nevertheless, REI still carries lots and lots of things that we need and want. Socks and shoes and water filters and, I mean, 
all kinds of things, right? Yeah, new stoves. New stoves. <laughs> um, yeah, so REI is an amazing store. And it's true what they're saying in this clip. You can return things to REI even after you've used them quite heavily. And I know this from a little bit of experience <laughs> because I have uh, grumpy feet that are, I guess, princessy feet might be a better way to say it. They just don't like most shoes. And I went through a lot, a lot. A lot. A lot. Pairs of shoes. Like every town. Maybe I should get a different pair of shoes. That might be my problem. Yep. So I would return the old pairs, even though they would have like 50 to 100 miles of hiking on them, uh, sometimes more. And uh, they would give, like, happily take them back and give me a new pair of shoes. So it is a really, really awesome policy that they have. And the great thing about it is what REI does with those return products is turns around and sells them at what they call their garage sales. So you can get used gear in very, very, like a, a wide range of conditions. Some of it is quite used and you get it for super cheap. Some of it's like super, super gently used. Somebody was like, mm, just didn't like it. Mm, I don't think it doesn't look right on me. Whatever, some silly reason. And you can get an incredibly nice pair of shoes or socks or whatever um, at a really reduced price from REI at their garage sales. So yeah, REI is our great love in life. <laughs> We've spent way too much time and money hanging out at REI's. So, Sherby, I remember when you started the Pacific Crest Trail, you had a pair of boots that maybe didn't fit you quite perfectly? Uh, they fit us when I started. What I didn't realize is that my feet would grow a size, essentially. And yes, I suffered the same problem as Cheryl, and I lost some toenails. It wasn't very pleasant. Uh, sadly, I did not have REI boots, so that was $170 for a new pair of shoes. So, yeah, it's expensive. What... Uh... What was the regrowth process like? Um, slow. Very, very slow. They still aren't right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is that is a depressing factoid because we hiked in 2019 and it's now 2022. Late 2022. Yes. I should have. And they're still funny looking for sure. Yeah. So what did you do with your shoes when they didn't fit anymore? Uh, I put them in a hiker box. They were no use to me and... I didn't think my feet were going to shrink down any time in the trail. I wasn't carrying the extra weight. So why not give them to someone else that could possibly use them? So I'm going to guess that, unfortunately, most of our listeners are not PCT through hikers or long distance backpackers. What is a hiker box? A hiker box is essentially items that other hikers may not want or not, not require anymore. Usually they're filled with food that people have bought too much or they've resupplied too much and they gift it to someone else. There's always random bags of white powder in it <laughs> if you wish to choose it then you know it's an adventure but yeah it's a wonderful part of the hiking community that if you're missing something essential you can go to the hiker box and perhaps get it for free especially if you're trying to save money or if you're struggling you had to buy new shoes that you didn't get from REI it really does help yeah, yeah. I will say that the white powder we hope <laughs> is not cocaine but who knows uh, we assume it's usually some kind of protein powder, but we never we never uh, tested out the random white powder. But it's in every hiker box. Every hiker box. Yeah. Maybe it's like lemonade powder or something. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I, I enjoy the hiker box. I had a gear failure on trail. It wasn't an REI product, but it was my hiking pole. It snapped in the snow and I had to get it replaced. 
I contacted the manufacturer. They shipped me a replacement product for no cost. I returned to them the, the broken one. Or I think I just had to send them a picture demonstrating what was broken, which was really just what was left of it. And uh, they, they sent it with no problem. And I picked up at Walmart like a $10 pair of trekking poles to replace mine while I was waiting on the new materials to arrive. And I hiked with them for probably 150 miles, 200 miles. And when I got to town, I put them in a hiker box because I didn't need them anymore. And what do you know, a couple of weeks later, down trail, I saw a guy using those exact same poles and I asked him, hey, where'd you get those? And he meant he it was at the same hostel where I put them in a hiker box, which was really cool. It's nice to see that kind of thing get recycled. Yeah, people often say the trail provides, and it does sometimes feel true, like you'll stumble across something that you really, really needed, and it just feels like a magical gift from the universe, right? <laughs> this thing just happens to be in a hiker box when you really need it. Carla, what is your best find in a hiker box? Well, I'm wearing it right now, Robert. Okay, I know, I understand that this sounds disgusting to most human beings, but I'm going to defend this to the ground. So, um... We stumbled across a hiker box and it was like one of the nicest hiker boxes that we had been to, that we had seen. It was inside of a gear store. Most of the hiker boxes are like outside under a highway or something terrible. And it just is, it's like dirty and sketchy looking. This was a nice hiker box in a store. It was sketchy looking, if you ask me. <laughs> it's not sketchy looking. And there was a pair of really, really nice underwear that was left in this hiker box. It was just my size. It was like a super nice brand. And you could tell it was really high quality. They retail for like 30 or 40, well, actually 30 or 40 pounds because they're manufactured overseas somewhere in Europe. Um, But they're like a really, really nice pair of underwear. So I obviously washed them many, many times. Mm -hmm. There was nothing like obviously gross or weird about them they looked they looked basically i mean they looked brand new and they are continue to be to this day one of my favorite pairs of underwear they're super great did the hiker box also come with a small shot of penicillin (laughs) i have no diseases i have been uh you know healthy and happy ever since and it's a great pair of underwear and i don't care what anybody says i love it and i'm not i don't regret it at all the, the trail <laughs> what was your best what's your best hiker box find um i was very lucky actually so i sent a resupply to myself in shelter cove and it never arrived so i managed to resupply a week's worth of food out of the hiker box there and i must say it was probably the best food that i had on trail <laughs> there was not a honey bun or a box of ice in sight wow I mean, that's that sounds crazy. pretty depressing, actually. I think my body appreciated, the, you know, the real food rather than the processed sugar for five minutes. Well, there you okay. go. Okay. I will say one of the mistakes that Cheryl made that most hikers need to plan for better is gear replacement. Stuff fails. While her shoes weren't the right size for her for the long term on her hike, your shoes are going to wear out. Like if today, not many people wear a true hiking boot for the full duration of their hike. Usually at some point, we'll, people will shift to more of a, a trail running type shoe or a, you know, a hiking shoe rather than a full boot. But nevertheless, those are going to wear out after 500 or 1,000 miles. They just can't take the beating of hiking every single day. And other gear stuff will wear out too. Maybe you will lose something or a tent pole will snap or who knows what's going to happen. You need a budget for the ability to replace stuff because if you don't, you're, you're really going to struggle out there. Yeah, we knew a lot of people 
who were replacing stuff just because they didn't like their old gear, right? Like yeah. our one of our good friends ended up getting a new pack at some point on trail. I mean, you get out there and even if you've really done a good job of doing lots of test hikes, after, you know, hundreds and hundreds or even over a thousand miles, things just start to wear a little bit differently. So people, you know, realize that they really want to upgrade something and it's just a fact of life. So whether it breaks or whether you get super sick of it, you've got a budget for some replacement gear for sure. Okay, well, let's move on to our next clip where Cheryl bumps into a reporter and he is not excited to ask her about her exciting journey walking from Mexico to Canada but instead uh, sees her as something different. I interview hobos for the Hobo Times, drive all over the USA, and I have to tell you, lady hobos, hard to find. Uh, oh, I think you're mistaken. I'm not a hobo. So, how long have you been out on the road? I'm not on the road. I'm hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. I just had to bypass a chunk of it because there was a snowfall this year. Okay, so if you're not a hobo, where do you live? I'm between places right now. I'm probably gonna live in Portland when I get off the PCT. This is so fucking cool. I mean, I've only spoken to maybe one other female hobo in two years. Let me reiterate to you, I'm not a hobo. Okay, folks. Did you feel like hobos? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Elaborate, Jeremy, tell us more. I mean, you're out there. You don't really care if you smell by that point. I mean, we had friends that would eat food that they found on trail. Yes, and you, yeah, you kind of feel like a good version of a hobo, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, she's she's not wrong to be kind of annoyed by this guy and be like, no, I'm not what you think of as a hobo. Because he's she's not what he thinks of as a hobo. But kind of, right? Like, it, the line is very fine between just someone who is, like, genuinely homeless and someone who's on trail, especially if you're on trail without a big financial cushion, right, to kind of help you ease back into society, that line gets pretty thin. Yeah, I mean, if we're thinking of a hobo, like somebody dressing up as a hobo for Halloween where they've got the stick with the bag on the end of it. And they, <laughs> the bandana wrapped around Yeah, it. they hop in a train car and just move their way across the country randomly, getting by on their wiles and the kindness of strangers. Well, it's not that different, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like that much of a hobo because there was a purpose, right? I, I had a goal. I wasn't, I wasn't just meandering wherever life took me. I had a footpath that I was following, and I, I had, well, I had choice in the matter too, right? I could, right. whenever we wanted to exit this, we could go back to a more traditional lifestyle. So I didn't feel like that much of a hobo, but I can certainly imagine to many strangers. You certainly look like one. Right, Sherby, you were saying in Stahika near the, the Oregon-Washington border, you were on a bus somewhere and everyone was aghast at your condition? Oh, they were not impressed by the smell. Yeah, they were definitely <laughs> tourists that had come in for the day and did not expect two very stinky hikers to be on their bus. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember, Carla, we had a dinner. We were in town one time early on the trail near Idlewild, or in Idlewild, excuse me. And people stopped us and they said, hey, are, are you guys those walker people? Is that you guys? And we had like fans, right? It was a little bit different. Most hobos aren't going to be stopped. We're like, hey, are you are you that person who jumped in the back of a boxcar? Are you, are you going to make it to Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
there are definitely similarities, right? You're sleeping outside every night and you smell really bad. You don't shower very often. But I think you're right. The goal-orientedness of it is really what makes it. I mean, you know where your next meal is coming from unless you've gotten yourself into a bad situation on trail. You know where your next shower is going to be usually, right? Like you've got places that you're trying to reach and places where you know you can like get that touchstone back to civilization and other people who know you and love you and care about you. So it's it's a very different thing. We were never truly homeless, even though we didn't have a permanent home. We were never truly homeless, that's for sure. Well, let's talk about that, because I think one of the things that can make a thru-hike a little bit more affordable is to literally embrace that homelessness, right? So we had moved in preparation for this journey from our big house in the suburbs to an apartment in downtown. And then finally, when it was time to go, we moved all of our stuff from an apartment into a storage unit and didn't have a dwelling that we could go back to, right? We had family who would happily support us and take us in begrudgingly. I'm sure they would have preferred a shower or two before that happened. But ultimately, we didn't have a home, but we saved a ton of money that way. We didn't have to pay rent. We didn't have to pay a mortgage. I think if you're not going to be living somewhere, either don't live there or use it as a rental, right? Offer it up to somebody else. Yeah, I think it's a great way for most hikers to go. Either just like if you're living in an apartment, sublet it or let your lease end. And yeah, like Robert's saying, just embrace it. You're going to be without a permanent place to go back to, but you can get another apartment down the line, right? Um, But it makes way more sense to do something like that than to just continue paying rent or a mortgage, whatever it might be for a place that you're just not living in for at least six months. It's an important aspect of your, quote, normal life that you need to get well under control before you take off to to do a long-distance trail. Otherwise, those mortgage payments or rent payments are just going to eat your hiking budget alive. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned something about how she had to take a bus or she had to make her way up to north of the Sierras. Do you want to just lead us in a topic about that? Yeah, so I mentioned in the clip she um, she skipped around the Sierras due to the high snow level, as was our year, and yeah. she had to get some transport around. She took a bus. I mean, we were very lucky that there was such a large group of us that we managed to rent a car. Captain here drove us down and we went on a nice little two-week holiday to an apartment <laughs> that we got given in Truckee. We even got to spend time on a boat in Salsaleto. I mean, that's not a normal hiker's <laughs> um expectations but yeah that's part of the trail that you have to sometimes adapt and change your plans due to weather i mean some of our our family went in and hiked but for us it was just it felt too dangerous and not what we wanted so yeah we had to we had to move around a little bit yeah i think cheryl strade's experience here uh talking to the reporter in the hobo times and explaining how she's just sort of there at the moment uh is a real example of what happens on these hikes Surprise things happen. Sherby, you had to make a trip into Portland to go deal with some sort of uh, U.S. immigration nonsense where they, they had your paperwork wrong and you had to go get it cleaned up and fixed so that you could continue your hike. Random things happen. Carla, you injured your ankle and had to stay a, a couple of nights in a hotel room at several different points that you hadn't planned for. And I think if you're if you're trying to budget for a hike like this, you definitely need to carry some contingency funds. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sure Yeah, you just don't know what's going to happen and you have to be prepared to roll the punches. Yeah, I think unexpected travel 
is for sure a big line item that people should factor in because skipping around for many different reasons is something that comes up for a lot of hikers. Maybe you like were hiking with a trail family that you loved, but you had to stay back and rest for a while for an injury. And now you want to catch up with them and go back and finish that section later. All kinds of things can happen that would make it reasonable for you to be jumping around the trail and paying for that extra travel is often not nothing, especially in like super remote areas where there's no such thing as an Uber, right? So you're relying on like paying some random person who's known to give rides to hikers, whatever it is that they're going to charge. You and I had to do that. Yeah. And it was very expensive. I think, what did that guy charge us like? I think it was like a hundred bucks, right? Yeah. A piece, if yeah. I remember correctly, to get, I don't know, maybe like 30-ish miles. Like it wasn't crazy long, but he charged us a lot because he could. So budgeting for the unexpected, super important. Okay. The last thing here, this reporter from the Hobo Times was very surprised to see a woman hobo. How many women hobos did we see on the PCT? <laughs> well, you're looking at two of them right here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we had uh, a lot of female hikers that were like in our trail family and in our like kind of like orbit as well. So the statistics on this are generally these days it's about a 55-45% split. So it's still more men than women, but not by a huge amount. When Cheryl Strayed was doing this in 1995, it would have been probably more like a 63%, 37% split. So definitely fewer women. Um, but I think there's no reason that women can't do this just as well as men can. And I think more and more women are realizing that and thinking like, oh, hey, definitely. yeah, this is kind of silly. Why weren't we doing this all along? Yeah, I, I have to agree. It was, it's becoming almost an even split. And I think the same is true on the Appalachian Trail. I imagine the Continental Divide Trail was more men than women up until a handful of years ago. But as it's gaining in popularity, I think the gender balance is, is becoming more even as well. So wonderful outdoors opportunities for all. And I encourage anybody, no matter what their gender is, to get out there and have some fun. So let's move on to our last clip. Cheryl is writing in a journal as she is chronicling this journey and the final clip is basically her narrating some stuff as she's getting closer to the end. I have only another 300 miles left to walk. I'm desperate for it to be over. But I'm terrified too. When I'm done, I'll only have two dimes to my name. But I'll have to start living. Okay. What are the success rates for people completing this trail? Right, She's only got 300 miles to go. She's near the end. Like, does everybody who starts this finish except for people who have ankle problems? <laughs> well, first of all, Sherby's finished despite ankle problems, so we should give credit to her. Second, no, uh, lots and lots and lots of people don't finish the PCT. So as we said, it's 2,650 miles. Cheryl Strayed did not do all 2650, not even close. She she didn't intend to. Yeah, she did like 1,100 miles, um, according to the book. So that's her definition of finishing, but the PCTA would not count it as a completion. Um, So it's like 10 to 15% of the people who set out to do the entire trail actually end up doing the entire trail. And that's, there are, you know, probably... 
every hiker has a slightly unique reason for why they back out, right? It could be boredom, it could be frustration, it could be a family commitment, it could be some kind of illness, injury. Money. Money is definitely a factor, right? Um, there are so many reasons that people get off trail. Also, it's just plain hard. And I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it's going to be when they when they get started. And then they get out there and it's like, oh, this is climbing mountains all day, every day. <laughs> and uh, I would really like to sleep in a bed tonight. And I'd really like to take a shower. So there's a lot of people who just get really burned out and don't want to keep going. So Reese Witherspoon tells us that she has 300 miles to go. And she's ready for it to be over. Did you feel that way? Either one of you? Um, my body felt like it was ready to be over, for sure. My mind, no. I would have stayed out there forever. Forever and ever. <laughs> what about you, Carla? Uh, I mean, kind of the same, I guess. I, I quit because my body just didn't want to keep doing it. Um, I had days where I really felt frustrated and fed up and I wanted the day to be over, but I never wanted the experience overall to be over. And I was really, really sad when I couldn't keep going. There were many tears shed in hotel rooms and on trails. And um, yeah, it was a a gut-wrenching decision to give up on it, but I have no regret whatsoever. My ankle is still not great to this day, and I can only imagine how much worse it would be if I had put another... Uh, you know, 2,000-ish miles on it. Because um, I made it about 700 miles. So if I'd done another, like, 1,900, I'm sure it would be in much worse condition <laughs> as we sit here right now. So I'm grateful all the time that we made the call that we did. Um, but it's hard, you know? It's I never wanted the experience to end, much like you. Yeah, I definitely didn't either. I, I don't think people who finish often really want it to be over. I think if you're tired of it, you quit or you give up. There's no reason to put yourself through it. No one's going to be disappointed in you because you only hiked 1,500 miles or you only made it to the Oregon-Washington border and didn't make it all the way there. Like, no one cares. You you do you. Hike your own hike, right? Um, but I think if you if you want to finish, you will. If you have if you don't run into any other issues, it's certainly it's not a, a desire problem in most cases. I think what happens for most people who do finish or or when they get off, whether they, they get off 80% of the way towards their goal or they change their goal along the way, a lot of people struggle with moving on to a more typical life once the trail is done. Yeah, post-trail depression is a very real thing. And I think you had a hard time with it, right, Sherby? You want to talk about it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you're going from such a simplistic life of just walking, eating, and sleeping. And then suddenly you're thrust back into this social environment and for me, I was very lucky. I went traveling after I finished hiking. But even just being in a, a city, I was in Vancouver, one of the nicest cities in the world. And it was just so overwhelming that I do remember sitting in a park and just crying for an hour, <laughs> wondering what I was going to do. And for me, luckily, I did have enough financial backing that I could. And I rented a car and just drove around the national park for a month just to try and acclimate back to being around people but not fully around people and it's still hard I still have such fond memories of being on trail that yeah I would definitely go back and do it in a heartbeat yeah I I think we got really lucky Carla so when we exited the trail it was because of injury we had planned to be away for a long time and we also had the financial wherewithal to be able to 
to have a pretty big parachute when we got off trail and decided that we would continue our outdoor adventure traveling up to Alaska and camping and continuing to do sort of our own thing away from all the friends that we'd met on the PCT. But heck, even when we got off the PCT, I think we spent a week and a half or two weeks surrounding the trail. We made it up to Crater Lake and spent some time there. We got to help some hikers who were in need and just had a blast doing that sort of thing. So we got to sort of stay a part of the community without being fully part of it in and out for a little while. And then we made our way north and continued to hike and camp a little bit, but not backpack the way that we had been. And we got to sort of ease out of the backpacking experience into a a normal vacation experience. And then we traveled to Europe for a few months. And then by the end of this, we were just ready to have some stability and, and being be less nomadic than we were at the time. And we're happy to sort of settle down and, I don't know about you, Carla. I don't think I felt any sort of post-trail depression. I was excited about what was next the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was just really sad to leave our friends behind because we had such awesome people. You're not one of them, sure. We just <laughs> tolerated you. That's fair enough. <laughs> no, we just got so ridiculously lucky with the people that we met. We had such a like odd group of people who like on paper have very little in common but we all just meshed so perfectly and got along like family just almost instantaneously so we were just stupid lucky I cannot imagine having met a better group of people and that was the sad part for me was leaving that behind but yeah I definitely never felt post-trail depression I think the way we did it was just perfect you know we we got to continue traveling to the point we we actually got a little sick of it. <laughs> we were ready to settle down again, and we're super happy to go through that process. And we settled down in an amazing place here in Colorado, sitting in a house that this person <laughs> helped us pick out, by the way. Um, so yeah, it just worked out incredibly well. So a lot of luck involved, but um, you know we we planned for a lot of that too. We planned to kind of ease ourselves out of the trail mentality and do some traveling afterwards. Yeah. So Cheryl Strayed says that she has two dimes to her name when she's going to finish the trail. And I think this is a problem that a lot of hikers get themselves into reading a lot of blogs and and articles about people's experiences. I think one of the things that leads to that post-trail depression is the instantaneous jump from all of the wonderful things that happen in trail life to all of the things that everyone else is used to in normal life that are, it's just a massive shift for you. It's amazing how quickly you get accustomed to the trail life and how hard it is to get back into normal life. Planning for the financial realities of that and giving yourself enough of a cushion when you budget for a long distance backpacking trip like this is huge. You definitely want to be able to to give yourself, one, you may not be able to find a job immediately. You may need to get a new place to stay. If you gave up your apartment, you're going to have to come up with enough cash to to put down a deposit, first and last month's rent, whatever it is. Those are challenges you're going to have to be prepared to deal with and you need enough money set aside to, to get back into life. But I think having enough money to, to really ease into it and choose what you want to do, a lot of people move after their hike. Like if we think about we our trail family, we moved. Uh, like half of our trail family has moved somewhere else after they finished the trail, right? Within mm-hmm. six months or so of it finishing, which is kind of crazy. I think people's priorities shift a little bit. You underestimate how much something like this is going to change you and you need a budget for working through that. Yeah, I completely agree. 
I don't know what the hell Cheryl Strait was planning to do. I mean, maybe she had people who were waiting in Portland for her who were going to help cushion that a little bit and give her a place to stay and help her find a job. Um, without that, my goodness, that is a scary, scary prospect. So surely she had some people there that she was hiking towards who were going to help her. Um, but I, having a landing pad financially is just like crazy important, I think. So when you're budgeting for the PCT, you need to figure out how much it's going to cost you to actually do the trail and then figure out how much do I need to ease back into real life. Those are two very different numbers, but they're both equally important. So here comes a big question. How much would you recommend that a person have in savings before they take off to do the PCT? Who wants to go first, guys? <laughs> Man, this is it's such a tough question because there's so many ways that you can do the trail. You can live it up. You can be balling it up in town, staying at the nicest places, eating the fanciest meals, buying all the jackfruit you can imagine in the grocery stores. <laughs> Hi, Falls. <laughs> now, you can, you can spend a lot in town. Or you can spend a little, right? You can do a lot of heroes. You can you can minimize your town time and, and avoid it. You can have less expensive gear. You there's there are ways to balance it. I think the conventional wisdom in 2019 was plan for about a thousand dollars a month of trail related expenses plus whatever else you have in your life, like a cell phone plan or a, if your stuff is in storage or you have a car payment or whatever it is, you got to make sure you have all that stuff covered too. And then gear is expensive to get started, right? Backpacking for long distance stuff is not a hobby you can do from zero to full speed. You really have to spend a fair bit of money to get good gear that's going to last you the duration of a through hike. So that's probably a couple thousand dollars in all told with everything that you're going to have. At least. Yeah. And then I think you should probably plan for, if it's me, maybe four months of like city living expenses when you get back plus some you got to manage your health care costs as well in the united states that's a challenge for a lot of folks to deal with i don't know like so whatever that adds up to for you it, it could be we could be talking 12 fifteen thousand dollars i don't know a fair it's a lot it, it may not cost you that much but the last thing anybody wants to have happen is for their incredible adventure to end early because you ran out of money. Talk about post-trail depression. That is just going to set you down a really miserable spiral and not have you thrilled with whatever your next adventure is. Yeah. Sherby, what's your number? Do you have a number? Yeah. So I have two different takes on this. When we did it in 2019, I, I probably around 750 to to $1,000 a month. But we were sharing rooms. We were sharing travel. This time round, I did definitely splurge. I was spending rooms by myself. I was taking extra zeros. I took many zeros this time. And I probably spent in the seven weeks this time roughly what I spent in the five and a half months last time. So there's definitely ways around doing it cheaply or making it more expensive. But I had the financial backing that I could do that. And it was, it meant so much more freedom for me. So when I did get injured, I could take that time. I didn't feel like I had to go back on trail or I had to like suffer with shoes that didn't fit properly. I had the availability to do that, and it definitely made a much more enjoyable hike. You didn't have to rest out an injury in a tent on the outskirts of town, just waiting it out? No, of course not. <laughs> that would yeah. be miserable. Yeah, but I mean, people do that, and it's definitely a lot harder to heal properly when you're like 
outside all the time, right? You don't have access to like an ice machine and stuff that comes really in handy when you're oh yeah nursing a <laughs> nursing a bad ankle or whatever other kind of injury you might be facing. Um, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen grand is probably a good number. I know that's probably kind of controversial because a lot of people do it on way less than that, and you can. But I think having that much will give you just this incredible peace of mind that you're going to be okay. Whatever the trail throws at you, you can weather it. And whatever post-trail life throws at you, you can weather that too. So it's more than you're going to need, almost certainly. But I think that gives you enough of a buffer to have a really, really peaceful, happy, well well cared for trail version of yourself <laughs> because so many things are going to come up that you're not going to expect and you will feel a lot better knowing that you've got some financial backing to help you weather those things. So that's my take. I think we certainly didn't spend anything like that because we weren't on trail for that long either. Um, but yeah, I think that's a reasonable number to recommend to people. And I, th- I think from talking to some of our other friends, that's what a lot of folks that we were hiking with seem to have that as sort of a benchmark too. Also, we're here in 2022. Inflation is a very real thing. Like stuff's getting more expensive. So the numbers that we had in 2022 uh, or that we had in 2019, just a few years ago are already out of date. So, but I think for today's number, that still is a, a nice, big, cushy account to have when you're setting out to do something like this. Okay, before we go, Sherby, any big long-distance hiking plans in the future? Uh, possibly might come back to Colorado and do some things around here. You can do the Colorado Trail? Maybe, maybe. You're looking for someone to go with you? Are you offering? Uh, maybe. I'm in. I'm is, in. Is, is Janky Ankle offering as well? I doubt it. She can't make That's it. That's fine. I've got a really She's good not welcome. <laughs> I mean, we'll see what happens, but uh, it sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah, it does indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope that this has been an enlightening episode. We also hope that our trail family is listening. We love you, trail family. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're part of our podcast family. So we love you too. (laughs) Thank you, Rainbow Sherby, for joining us. We had a blast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Sherby. To everybody else, go back and uh, watch Wild and get inspired to hike the PCT. Yeah. Just get outside and hike. It doesn't have to be a long distance backpacking trip. Just get out there. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Take care.